This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is November the 20th, 2020. Strong hand, buy and hold, conviction, one day closer to an all-time high, offended by selling. All right. Oh, it's been quite a week. Hello, my elite friends. Do you have questions? I have answers. So does the panel. Type in Bitcoin Meister. Do a super chat. We got Andy's here. We got David here. We don't know where Boris is. Boris is missing in action in the Netherlands. It's like World War II or something. Come on, dude. Show up, baby. All right. But uh, it is this week in Bitcoin. It is, it's been a wild, wacky week, of course, as, as it always is. But uh, t another day, another 2020 high we, ha we have reached on this uh, November 20th, 2020. So we're going to start off by talking about uh, maybe why this is happening. You know, I, I like to talk about the halving hype. I was hyping that halving. I talk about supply and demand. And we've got an article, Supply Drought is Driving Up the Price of Bitcoin. Oh, Andy, t teach us about uh, supply and demand. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the fundamentals of uh, Bitcoin. This is Bitcoin 101, right? Um, I always I always like it when people you know ask how much capital has to flow in to Bitcoin in order to move the price, right? And what's interesting is it depends. It depends on when the move comes, but you know, depending on how hard we are hodling. Uh, the Bitcoin holders, you know, one dollar basically coming into Bitcoin can raise the price by five times that much or by 20 times that much. So what I will say is I don't know anyone in Bitcoin who is selling right now. Right. Nobody. I don't know any sellers. Why? Well, because most of us who have strong hands have been at this for a few years now and we've been waiting, expecting watching the pattern you know play out and um and our expectation my expectation is that once we hit that all-time high finally the news media the mainstream are going to cover it there's going to be the reflexive you know piling in and uh it's likely to take us to the next level so yeah i think supply right now is extremely tight in the sense that very few people are willing to part with these or part with bitcoin at prices anywhere near what we're seeing right now. Yes, my hand is as strong as ever. Pound that like button with your strong hands, people. Uh, retweet what's out there in the chat if you're watching this live. Watch yesterday's show is out there, disruptmeister.com. All right, Mr. Bennett, what's what's up, what's up with you and uh, price and uh, supply and demand and all that good stuff? You know, I, I remember supply and demand was, <clears throat> the concept was actually given given to us in grade school like as part of your entry into eventually learning economics is going to start with this. By the time I got to college, I would say something that something along the lines of, well, it's supply and demand. And people would look at me funny, not just other students, but like other, you know, like instructors and professors and whatnot. And it was almost as if it was not an alien concept. It was almost as if I was spouting fake news it had nothing to do with supply and demand and i'm like god oh no 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 yes it does because if it's what i tell my my daughter i go let's say you're an apple farmer you got an apple farm you're doing you're busting your butt doing all this to get a few apples and you're selling them and 
you sell out every year, you pretty much are in command of, of what that price can be. And then somebody moves in next door. They don't even have an apple farm. They just set an apple truck right next to you and flood the market with apples. What do you think? She, what do you think is going to happen? And she looks at me and she's like, you know, 10 or nine at the time. And she says, nobody's going to want to buy my apples. Like, <laughs> see, you get it. You, you get it. I don't know why the rest of the other people can't get it. And, you know, I was just looking at the Bitfinex chart. I'm looking at volumes on Bitfinex and over like the last move down, like which was last hour, there was only like 400 coins in, in that. I mean, the, the, the volumes here are like when we get to selling, the volumes are minuscule. But when we get to the uh, green bars, they're twice as big, three times as big. So there's a shit ton of buyers, but not a whole lot of sellers. So I, I don't I'm not selling. Uh, the only time that I sell is if I use my LN strike app to buy something. Do LN, yeah. Now you, 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 this is very interesting analysis on your part, observation on your part that uh, there's not much on there. <laughs> Again, like there's a supply shortage, but uh, that that lack of liquidity, the lack of uh, it, it could cause some uh, turbulence too. I mean. Um, right now, again, as we're we're in the high eighteen thousands, which is like amazing in a sense. Uh, I I don't like to get too excited. We're one day closer to an all time high, but I'm not saying that day is tomorrow. So, do you expect some? May I mean, it's the, the whole week's been on the way up. I mean, we get yeah. to sixteen, we get to seventeen. We get, but what I'm saying is, do you expect? Uh, I'm warning people like we're we're probably going to get that back down to like thirteen or fourteen again or something like that. I I would not be surprised if this month did closed, it's not going to be the highest monthly close ever. I, I, I would not, I would prepare for that people. But what do you think? I don't know. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're probably right, but you know, my TA is crap. So I'm not going to, you know, that I'm not going to speculate on that. We've seen it happen so many times that if you're not prepared for it to happen, you're doing yourself a disservice. But if you are, if you're a newbie and you're just entering in the space, it's impossible to parse through all the stuff that has happened. You're not prepared for it. So the only thing that I can suggest to anybody listening or watching at this point is prepare your newbies. Make sure they have diapers. Make sure they have formula because they are going to need it because they're going to cry and cry and cry when they figure out that they have entered into one of the most volatile things on the face of the planet when it decides to go volatile. So, so I'll jump in there and the usual, you know, none of this is investment advice, uh, you know, disclaimer, right? Everybody's situation is different. I'll tell you in the, I am getting more, you know, inbound interest, not as much as I would have thought just yet. We can talk about that. But, you know, what I tell people, you know, friends, family, whatever is, look, if you got zero, you know, you have to ask yourself, what, how am I going to feel if I miss the opportunity? And then you have to also ask yourself, well, how do I want to, you know, size size the investment? And so it's okay to buy some and then average in with the rest. As to so that's one thing I tell them. Second thing I tell them is assume you're gonna lose money immediately, right? The last time, you know, I'm always stacking my sats, you know, with Swan Bitcoin, obviously. But you know, occasionally I, you know, I whatever, I get a check or something and I wanna do a bigger buy. I think the last sizable buy I did was like 11.4, right? And it immediately went under 10. <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
Now, of course, it recovered, you know, I don't know, a couple weeks thereafter. But you just got to assume that whatever price you pay, it's going to go down immediately. And it is what it is. But, um, you know, are we going to get back down to, yeah, are we going to get back to down to 13? I don't know. I mean, any, anything is always possible with Bitcoin. You know, it's possible that we head up to, to 20 and bounce off it, you know, hard. Who knows? But I think, I think the real question people got to ask themselves is if you're, if you're on zero, right, um, zero might be the wrong number. Um, I'm not saying pile in, you know, have some dry powder, have some allocation, you know, and then continue to, to stack. Dude, if you want to end up a one percenter, you better at least get one percent of your portfolio in the Bitcoin. How about that saying right there? Now, uh, and it's not financial advice. It's just some dude on YouTube with a tie talking about uh, <laughs> the most uh, the new gold out there. Go to, pound that like button, people. All right. Um, first of all, we can't predict the future, but I, I got I'm gonna make a little prediction. We are never returned to that four digit realm, baby. I love being in the five digit realm. We're past that presidential election turbulence here. Uh, the sky is the limit, one day closer to an all-time high. And Venshin has a very interesting comment out there. Venshin is a man who works on, uh, for a living, he, work, he used to work on uh, fixed trucks. He's a diesel mechanic, okay? And he knows supply and demand, okay? He didn't go to no fancy university. Um, he wasn't there at Wash U with me in St. Louis, but he makes a great point. He says, oh, my God, people in a university don't understand supply and demand. Shocking. Yes, people in this freaking space who are freaking geniuses who like to make these fancy sets and graphics and charts and all this technical stuff. They don't even get the freaking. That's all you really got to know here in, in, in the, the having base your knowledge of Bitcoin around havings. It's that simple. But God almighty, people try to complicate matters so much. And just some simple basic economics like that is is lost. On some very intelligent people so don't think this is bitcoin isn't like a you don't have to have genius level iq to become a a, a one percenter okay dude in, in terms of uh just just understand the simple uh simple aspects of supply and demand and that there's freaking there are geniuses like michael saylor when he starts buying up all the darn bitcoin there's not <laughs> there's not as much of it out there anymore so that, that makes it a tremendous difference so uh, while we are so excited, Andy, you made a great point that the whole world is not excited about Bitcoin right now. In, uh, you've got a tweet out there, and I, I want to read it. It's, it's linked below. Everything will uh, be linked to uh, after the show. I have been getting more inbound interest in Bitcoin, but not as much as I would have expected by now. Move, the, the move has been so fast that the media can't catch up. New all-time high will really make them come out of the woodwork, though. I agree. I have not been contacted by like old friends very often. I mean, it seems like there's an uptick, but the me the mainstream media that has nothing to do with finance. I mean, the, the Bloomberg media has covered this. Forbes has, but you you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN. You know what they're talking about. They're only two subjects they're talking about, and we're not going to talk about those subjects because they're just so mindless at this point. Um, but 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 it, but the point is is. Uh, uh, that, that, that I'm bringing this up is uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, who is buying it. It's the rich are getting richer here. Okay, that, that's what I'm saying. And I have no problem with the rich getting richer. I mean, the, the inside, the people with the, in, the supposed inside information. This has been, as I put in the title, it's been a secret pump to the rest of the world. So what are your thoughts on this? You did tweet out about it, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much to talk about there. I mean, with respect to, you know, the rich the rich coming in, right? The institutions and the high net worth 
than, well, I'd say ultra high net worth, right? You mentioned Michael Saylor and the corporates. That's for sure happening. And my God, you know, the the, the three-year bull mar uh, bear market that we just went through was a gift to these guys, right? They had literally years to figure this stuff out. I mean, I published my book over a year ago, but I've been talking to people about this for several years now. And these guys kind of hung around, you know, the strong hands were accumulating already, I'm sure, through the through the whole process, right? Everybody on this uh, on this stream, but um, but yeah, the corporate guys got more time than I would have guessed to figure this out and then to act on it. And then yeah, retail. You know, a couple of friends and family have contacted me lately, but not a lot. Um, as you said, as I tweeted, you know, all time high. I'm sure is gonna. I used to be more skeptical of that perspective, right? People talked about, you know, how that's going to be the catalyst. I really think now that that it is likely to be a major catalyst, especially with the especially with the mainstream media. Uh, you know, it's just hard to ignore. And um, yeah, it's maybe it's because it's happened so fast. I mean, you know, maybe it's because the move has been literally in, in a matter of weeks that you know people aren't aren't paying attention. You know, the, like the data, you know, like the facts just haven't caught up with them yet. I don't know. But um, yeah, this is um, this is for sure going to be a, an interesting time. And uh, yeah, if we can break, if we can break that all time high. By the way, you know, 20K is the, is the number of people's minds. In my mind, 20K like isn't really real. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Some some unlucky, you know, some unlucky poor sod, you know, paid 20K for a Bitcoin <laughs> at some point uh, in 2017. Really, I think the, you know, the 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 record is lower than that. But I think 20K is, is what pe people have in their mind. It's a nice it's a nice round number. number yeah. That's a number to beat. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how long it takes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, you make a you make a good point there about the yeah, guy. It, we'll know when we're at the all time high when it's like in the high 20s. Because different people are going to define it differently. I mean, it really is something like 196 or or something or something like that. So you know, when, when we've blown past it, there'll be no doubt. This happened the last time too. Like there were arguments earlier. Well, what was really the idea? Did it count it at, at, at Mount Gox and uh, et cetera? But uh, I wanted uh, David to get get in uh, what we were just talking about there. Uh, with with uh, are are we experiencing are we experiencing institutional FOMO yet? I mean that, that that's a, that's another question. Uh, I I posed that last week and people said no. But uh, David, take it away. Well, you know I just I had a discussion with an old old friend of mine on the phone last. It was last weekend. It was like Saturday, like last Saturday night, and. Uh, He's like, well, you're only, the only thing that you post anymore to Facebook is is Bitcoin stuff, and I'm like, yeah, that I'm pretty much not worried, concerned about using Facebook for anything other than dropping, you know, dropping the episode of my podcast. Yeah. But he was a little, he sounded annoyed, and I go, well, I don't understand what's wrong. He said, he's like, I go, are are you it not doing anything about this? And he said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> Now, this is, you know, this guy, you know, he went to college for, you know, for a few years for high school education, you know, went to college for a few years, awesome bass player. You know, he, I mean, the guy is not in high finance. He has no, he's pure retail. Okay. The message has completely escaped him. I got three or four people like that. Now, a person who's not like that is my sister who's done merger and acquisitions lawyering for years and years and years at 
I don't know, like all manner of uh, top five law firms in the world, you know, merger, you know, merger and acquisitions from Japan all the way to, you know, into Europe and all kinds of stuff. So she gets the finance side and it took me three years. And Andy, you'll be happy to know that she finally signed up for SWAN. I got my notification before she told me about it. I'm like, oh, look, I love it. I baited her. So she's, so she's in, but she's not 100% retail. She listens to CNBC. You know, she'll watch, um, not MSNBC, but like, you know, MS, uh, whatever, like the business stuff. Because what I'm not seeing is when we say, yeah, it's all over mainstream media. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing that it's all over mainstream business media. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's not like, you know, it. you have to wait for Maisie Williams to come out with a tweet to say something about she's going to buy some Bitcoin, you know, poll be damned or whatever it was. And that's Arya Stark from Game of Thrones actress, whatever. In in either event, that's that's the where the normies in hardcore retail sector, that's where they're getting their stuff from. Right. And I honestly, I think that that might be one of the issues that's going around because a, they just came off the election, which was the most important election ever in our lifetimes again, apparently. <laughs> and so there, so that's a distraction. So that's calming down. But you know, Trump is, you know, he's bouncing around, causing them problems. So the distraction's still a little bit alive. Everybody's mentally exhausted with this. I can't say the name. Yeah, yeah. The 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 cold that's going around. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's mentally exhausted. My wife is is she's like at the end of her rope with what the hell's going to happen. So when you add all this up, you've got you basically have a whole portion of the population in this one camp that is distracted and not getting good information. But then you've got all the people that are the one percenters down to the top of retail who are listening to CNBC. They are watching what Ray Dalio is saying. They are seeing Michael Saylor. I didn't even know who Michael Saylor was until he made the buy. But I guarantee you at that point, I'm in the like the kind of the bottom rung of the retail sector. But the people like Ray Dalio, they know who he is. And, when, and they're listening to the outlet that's telling them what happened. And now they're sitting around with their th sitting on their thumbs going, we need to make a move. But if we make a move too fast and we don't put it through our normal channels that we've been used to, and those channels take weeks and months and possibly a couple of years before they, so they're that they don't get sued that we, I think that that's why we're seeing this delay because I'm not getting pinged in my direct messages by people. I'm not getting, phone mess, you know, instant messages on my phone from old friends asking about it. I think they literally don't know. Yeah. And I want to jump, I want to jump in there, Adam. And <laughs> Dave made a couple of really good points and he brought up Ray Dalio. Um, and, you know, I'm of two minds on this whole situation right now. So we agree completely, right? Retail is missing this pump, it seems. And it's basically wealth, you know, it's corporates plus wealthy individual, you know, families, et cetera. Now that's a shame for, you know, the overall Bitcoin story and the overall Bitcoin ethos, right? I want, we all want as many, uh, you know, plebs and average people getting into this stuff 
as early as possible, right? Because you know it gives them a shot at uh, financial independence. I'm talking about from the investment perspective, leaving aside you know other reasons to own it, of which there are many. Um, on the other hand, um, you know one of the main pieces of FUD, right, has always been prohibition. That's what Ray Dalio, you know, said in his interview. I think it was the prior week. Yeah. Um, you know, he's talking about how government's going to make it illegal if it gets um, if it gets big enough. Now, of course, the prohibition risk hasn't been that significant for years now. You know, maybe it was earlier. Um, prohibition has never worked. <laughs> you know, for any good or service that people really want to consume, right? You know, it just leads to organized crime and it fails and reverses eventually anyway. But what I can say about, you know, the prohibition risk, which was already low, is once you got, you know, rich people and connected people into this stuff, like it, it, it's over, right? I mean, so when you think about sort of the long term uh, sustainability or ability of Bitcoin to reach the masses, you're actually probably better off, you know, having a number of wealthy individuals and corporations uh, with sizable stakes. Because then it just becomes all the more impossible for those connected, you know, people and uh, and organizations. Um, it, it it becomes impossible basically for for government to clamp down uh, too hard on it. So it's a double edged sword, right? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you bring up Ray Dalio. Was, we're going to talk about that, but I mean, he said governments will outlaw it. That doesn't mean there's a lot of governments on this planet. So. He is partially right. There are going to be like uh, banana republics, and, and, and there are there, there's going to be prohibition in some countries. But your point is very valid. You, there's a lot of money here in the United States already intertwined with it. We've got senators talking about it. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for the United States to. Uh, it's a no coiner excuse. Now I, I want to. So we're talking about normies and how people find out about Bitcoin and such. And Ray Dalio is known. Uh, if you're in finance, you've definitely heard of him before. I mean, if you're a regular dude on the street, you haven't heard of him before. But uh, I think, you know, he said he said what he had to say last week, and then he comes back this week, and it seems like he wants more attention. He's like, well, teach me. Tell me how I'm wrong here. It seems like he's pulling a Peter Schiff. He's trying to uh, get some engagement uh, social media-wise. He, he wants some attention. I mean, I, I don't exactly understand why, but uh, – and everybody engaged him. I mean, he people were like offering to pay him money to appear on podcasts. I mean, it, it was insane. And the bottom line for me is Ray Dalio does not make Bitcoin. Ray Dalio, I mean, Bitcoin does not need Ray Dalio. Uh, but but Ray Dalio seems like he wants to use the very passionate base of Bitcoin to, I mean, get attention. I, I don't know here. So, uh, David, what's, what's what's your take on the whole Ray Dalio? overall situation like should we ignore him or what well i don't know we're should we ignore him is different than will we ignore him and the answer <laughs> to the second part is no we're not going to ignore ray dalio and i looking at it i kind of it's not that i disagree with with you adam it's just when i first saw it i was reading the words and the way he strung them together and it actually seemed ra rather sincere. It, I mean, I may be wrong, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to give the guy, you know, at least the benefit of the doubt here because I can't do that with Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff has shown his, his butt way too many times for me to, to care. But Ray Dalio, on the other hand, 
hasn't been an outspoken detractor of Bitcoin. He just doesn't understand it. And he actually just straight up asked, what is it? Why? What is it about Bitcoin that I'm missing? Somebody please instruct me. And he didn't do it with any, uh, it, the language did not seem to suggest that he was being snide or snippy. So I got to take the guys at his word that maybe he really did miss something about Bitcoin that he doesn't understand. And he's made that clear that he doesn't understand the basics and that's okay. I can't expect, <clears throat> I can't expect a mechanic that has worked on an M1 Abrams tank to fully grasp how to fix a jet engine. Uh, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with legacy guys and they have legacy tools and they know how to use them really well. They don't know anything about this. They're completely in the dark. And when that kind of thing happens, especially when that thing that's, if you're in the dark and you hear growling and it's really close to you, you start getting a little scared. And that, I believe that they're in a dark room and there's something in there with them and they don't know what it is. They don't know how to combat it. At this point, he's like, please, somebody turn the damn lights on for me because this thing's scaring the living willy out of me. So I think it was sincere. That's where I'm going to come from on this one. That, that was very persuasive. I, I got to say, I got to say that that's opened my mind a little bit right there to maybe he is a, it, it isn't all some uh, big uh, I want attention thing. Just uh, I, I, I guess I focused a little bit too much on his initial comments and it, it turned me off so much. But yeah, maybe maybe it is done out of uh, he wants to learn. And uh, you just uh, taught me a few things there too. All right, Andy, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I am, I, <laughs> I'm of two minds. I actually think, David, that you're right that he probably does earnestly want to learn about it. The thing to remember is he has been very public, right? So Dalio has run his hedge fund for, I don't know, something like four decades, right? Been around forever. And um, he's been very public. In fact, he's published hundreds of pages, right, worth of memos and books talking about how he operates his business. And the way he operates his business is basically, it's a, I don't remember the term he uses, but it's something like, you know, radical transparency and radical truth. The way they operate um, at his fund at Bridgewater is basically there's no secrets. Like they, they film and make records of every meeting. So there's a record of what everyone says. There's rules about, you know, you can't talk about people behind their back. Like basically you have to do everything in the open. There are very specific protocols that they put in place to basically attempt to remove any sort of politicking and posturing and just try to get at the truth. So that's how it seems he's structured his business. So I believe that he knows that he sometimes makes mistakes and he knows that he sometimes, you know, doesn't know enough about a topic. And he seems to be an open-minded guy, at least when it comes to investing. So yeah, I tend to agree that he probably hasn't figured it out and he probably does want to understand it because he talks about in some of his uh, biographical stuff about how earlier in his career, he blew up his fund, right? And one of the lessons he learned from that was that sometimes you're wrong. He had made a big bet basically, um, you know, this is back in the seventies, I think, about debt and government policy and it went against him. And uh, the story he tells is that he ended up having to go, you know, beg and borrow money from his dad you know, and he was on his parents' couch, right, after running, already running this sizable hedge fund for a while. So he was basically, you know, financially ruined at that point. Of course, he restarted, changed his, his method of operation, and that's been very successful. 
for him over a long time since then. So yeah, I think he, um, I think he probably honestly wants to learn about it. Now, having said that, of course, we also have to remember that he has made his tens of billions personally, right? The fund is like 150 billion or more, but he's personally worth tens of billions of dollars, it is believed. And he's made that in the fiat system. And uh, moreover, he's made it trading macro, right? Which has to do with, has as much to do with central bank policy as anything else and fiat money. So it's probably harder for a guy like him to uh, get around, you know, get his head around this thing that is anathema to that whole system. So these, that's what I think uh, are some of the factors going on. All right. Uh, this is a, this has been enlightening about uh, Ray Dalio. Okay. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, he could do what he, I mean, I, 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 I'm not one to shut anyone up. Um, I, I do ignore people sometimes, but he's, he's free to speak what he wants to. I hope, I hope he gains knowledge and I, I hope he buys Bitcoin. How about that? That that's, that's the best thing that he could that he could do right there. All right, uh, there is a Deutsche Bank. Somebody from Deutsche Bank said there is increasing demand to use Bitcoin where gold was used uh, uh, b before as as a hedge uh, on, on inflation here, and that more people in the traditional uh, in the traditional markets. Uh, are getting comfortable with Bitcoin, are thinking it, of it as a gold 2.0. Uh, this is this is very bullish. Uh, David, do you, do you have anything to say about this? I haven't actually seen that one, but I've, well, know. I think it's I think it's what we were talking about. You said it was BlackRock, but I, or maybe it was Bo someone from BlackRock said something similar. But uh, yeah, what, what? yeah, okay. So the the uh, the BlackRock thing, if it's if this thing about Deutsche Bank is mirroring what's coming out of BlackRock, then, then yeah, they're looking at, at Bitcoin as, you know, and I really don't want to, I really am a little loath to say it's better than gold because that's just so fraught with difficulty. I believe it is, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't actually, you know, go around saying, oh, you got to get Bitcoin because it's better than gold. That ends up with this, you end up with a circular argument. It's not very effective until you actually go through the motions of saying, look, <clears throat> I can move $330 billion in capital assets in a liquefied form in 10 minutes, confirmed in an hour, halfway across the world and spend three and a half dollars doing that. Now, if you weigh out the gold that it would cost that would equal that same value and add up what it would cost for security, transportation, the fuel burned, the insurance on it. I mean, just the insurance by itself, you're talking about moving $300 million and it's going to cost you a significant low single digit or possibly like, you know, half a percent, but a half a percent of $330 million is a lot of money. All right. You can't do that with gold. You just can't. And when these people start seeing the, efficacy at which you can transfer value for, I mean, for very low fees. And I, I say that as a caveat, I don't want to pay $3 for a cup of coffee and fees, but I'm not using Bitcoin to buy coffee. So that I, I want to put that, pull it out of my pocket and then throw it away because we don't need to talk about it anymore. But when you're moving that kind of asset, which, which would you rather move? Gold 
that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds that you got to put on a plane and burn thousands and thousands of more pounds of, you know, jet fuel or just simply transfer it. And I, the smart money is on, Hey, as long as the security is there, which we are proving, as long as value is there, which we are continuously proving, then it's at that point, that's when you can say, yeah, it's kind of better than gold. I can't wear it as jewelry or cufflinks. But I can, you know, I can buy all that if I want to. <laughs> it's it's very interesting. You 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 were referring to the BlackRock uh, chief investment officer says Bitcoin could replace gold uh, to a large extent, and it, and it's just it's just so interesting that a big BlackRock guy is saying it. Then it was earlier this week uh, a Deutsche Bank person was saying it, and it just lends uh, credence to my belief that these dudes are getting used to Bitcoin now, which is great. And uh, well, I think it's better than gold, but I, <laughs> you, you, you gave you gave some you gave some beautiful reasons there. Uh, but uh, some of these dudes love to use uh, gold as a hedge against inflation, and it, it's a lot easier to, to use Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. So, uh, can I? Yeah, can I? Yes, go? please, Andy, take it over. Yeah. So, as you know, one of the things I did in my book was I scored on the fourteen characteristics of good money, the dollar gold and Bitcoin. And on my scoring system, uh, Bitcoin already outscored gold. And of course, gold, I'm talking about its monetary properties, right? Gold ain't improving. It's the same it's been for thousands of years, basically. Um, and Bitcoin, um, in contrast, is improving, right? Because all this new functionality and new layers are being built on top of it. So it's already, you know, slightly better than gold on my scoring metrics, but improving where gold is not improving. Now, I see, you know, the upside as an investment for, for Bitcoin, you know, I see digital gold, you know, taking share from fiat, um, you know, offshore uh, store of value, Swiss bank account in your pocket, um, demonetizing other stores of value like real estate. You know, and then category five, like new stuff, you know, micropayments or just the stuff we haven't even thought of or cool use cases like, um, you know, Abra does where you you can you can use Bitcoin to collateralize a claim on just about any other asset. These are all upsides for Bitcoin, right? If Bitcoin reaches its potential, it will do all these things, but it doesn't have to in this bull run. <laughs> In this bull run, all you have to explain to people is it will take share from gold. It will take market share from a $10 trillion asset. And it's that simple. That's the message I've been you know, telling people for, I don't know, at least a year now. I've really, I've really attempted to you know, cut the thesis down to you know, forget about all this cool whiz-bangy stuff it could do or will do in the future. Digital gold is enough. It's enough for now. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Why why try to complicate matters right now and start talking about layer three solutions to people? I mean, it, it seems like people love to do that. Does, does uh, Michael Saylor care about layer three solutions when he's, you know, using it as a treasury asset? I, I don't I don't think that's why he, <laughs> we're living in a, a, in an era where there's a. Uh, there, there's not not the rules of the game keep changing and the stability of Bitcoin, that simple fact that, you know, there's only going to be 21 million of them, that the rules of the game don't change, that that, le that gives it value. It's the security truth machine. We're, we're in an era of, of, of little truth and stuff. So, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of glorious bells and whistles that are going to be added to Bitcoin. They're going to make it 
awesome. But as it stands right now, just I mean, the basic the basics make it a uh, 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 quite a, an innovate quite a uh, financial uh, mechanism there for for anyone and anyone can get into it. All right, uh, uh, David, any uh, final thoughts on this uh, matter that we've been speaking of here? Uh, yeah. Deutsche Bank is has been continuously in trouble, yes. kind of like in, in legal matters, and the fact that they are uh, probably one of the largest um, drug laundering, money laundering monies in the world. So I kind of, at this point, I don't worry about them. Um, but what I do worry about is BlackRock, because at seven point four trillion dollars of assets under management, they're the largest player on earth. They're not. You know, oh, I'd like if like here's the, the example of retail not knowing what the hell's going on. Right. I go up to my friend who was I was telling you about talking on the phone and he just doesn't he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't listen to CNBC. He has no hope of understanding that the largest player on the face of the planet is starting to swing to Bitcoin. And even if I told even if I told him that, I don't think it sinks, I don't think it sinks in. It took it took me after falling down the rabbit hole. I got in 2015, like September 2015. I remember my entry point because of a certain date that it occurred on. I just now feel that I'm scratching competency in not only Bitcoin, but understanding what the hell money is, who these players are, how the you know central banks actually function, because I wasn't brought up there. I wasn't trained as an economist. I, I didn't go to business school. I, that's not, that was not me. So all this stuff I'm having to learn as quick as I humanly can. And the more I learn, the more horrified and astonished I become at just how far we've been lied to over the decades, decades before I was even born. Your grandmother wasn't born yet before she started being lied to by the powers that be. And now I'm like finally realizing just what when somebody says BlackRock is looking at Bitcoin instead of me going, I don't know what a BlackRock is. I'm going, oh, God, it's BlackRock. You know, it's the largest player on Earth. That's, you know, probably nothing. It, you know, it's probably nothing. We probably just need to ignore it because, you know, largest asset manager on planet Earth looking at Bitcoin favorably. Yeah, nah, nothing, dude. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I, I welcome them to the show. This is where the big boys play, okay? Uh, so BlackRock, uh, you're welcome to be here. You can talk about it. Go, go, go try to buy up a lot of it, BlackRock. Uh, go ahead, make my day. Uh, because I, I think uh, there are some people who have heard of BlackRock and then they hear that maybe BlackRock's interested and they're just like, oh, well, it's a cool, I don't want to be in something that BlackRock. They're so evil. I, the, the Bitcoin must be hard. I mean, the excuses you can hear. By the way, Boris has entered the building. Boris, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you, Adam. Sorry, I'm late. Oh, dude, it's, it's, you're here. That's all. I know you had some major technical issues over there. Uh, it, it remind you know back in the day when Elvis would enter the building they would uh, they would uh, announce it so Boris has entered the building he is big as Elvis here I want to I want to we're we're talking about uh, well we're talking about corporate interest in, in Bitcoin and uh, it, it is quite apparent that uh, that uh, there might be corporate institutional FOMO almost going on now but but I, I want to talk about 
what, what you're an expert on here. You are in uh, the Netherlands right now. And mm-hmm. a, a story that came out earlier that, this week um, that needs clarification from someone who's actually there. Uh, I, I have it linked to below. What is going on with the regulations uh, of, of Bitcoin uh, with and, and these exchanges? And uh, are there going to be any uh, uh, Bitcoin companies left there that, that deal with uh, storage of Bitcoin at all? Yeah, that's an interesting situation. It's almost as uh, dramatic as my uh, my my camera situation right now because I just can't get it up and running. But um, yeah, what the what, uh, uh, the, the interesting situation? We have all these uh, uh, FATF, uh, AML five uh, guidelines that came down from uh, from Brussels, from the European Union, uh, from the Financial Action Task Force, and f- for some reason the Dutch politicians decided that uh, we would implement these rules in a, in a very specific manner. Actually, uh, the rules now are stricter here in the Netherlands than they are anywhere in Europe. Um, and this is just up for interpretation. Um, every country can kind of go their own way within a certain threshold that uh, uh, that the central that the FATF uh, sort of dictates and in Holland it's 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 pure um, uh, it's a pure disaster we have about 15 or 16 companies uh, which are active we have a lot of brokers uh, we've already seen some companies uh, quit uh, we saw uh, Dairybit which is one of the largest um Futures traders uh, move to Panama, I believe. Uh, they do uh, an annual revenue of, I don't know, hundreds of millions, and they just left the Netherlands. It's um, it's an absolute disaster. And uh, what's happening right now is that uh, the Dutch Central Bank, who's overseeing the implementations of these guidelines, which is absurd by itself. So, I mean, why would the Dutch Central Bank be in, in charge of uh, um, sort of like uh, um, uh, applying these rules? That's crazy. But um, uh, they decided that every, uh, every Bitcoin transaction from an exchange to an uh, outside address um, the, the 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 exchanges need to verify the owner of that certain address, which is insane. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean anything. But the way that the exchanges uh, and especially Bitonic, they are uh, they've gained some momentum, gained some press uh, when they uh, when they told everybody how they were going about doing this. Uh, basically, you can make a screenshot of your wallet, <laughs> send it to Bitonic, and they see that as proof. And it's really it's not Bitonic's fault. It's just I mean. It does not make any sense to, uh, I mean, if you really care about, I don't know, financing of terrorism or anything like that, this rule is, it's, 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 it, 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 it makes no sense whatsoever. But I think the implication, implications are really, really uh, bad. Um, I mean, I cannot imagine any startup right now in the Bitcoin scene um, operating from the Netherlands. There's just no way that someone would actually take the chance to set something up like that. And to be honest, um, most users haven't realized what this means yet. Um, The next steps will be even worse. It will be just a matter of time before we have to share um, XPOPs with the IRS or something like that. Something crazy like that. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, and it's it's amazing. You don't see it being reversed, uh, or, or do you? Uh, I mean, are the Dutch people going to r- rise up, or are they just going to do all their business through other countries where they're not going to be monitored like this? Because there are so many people. I mean, you've got a Dutch uh, podcast. There are so many people uh, from from the Netherlands who watch my show. It's one of the 
uh, biggest, uh, most interested regions in uh, in Bitcoin. So this is it's it's quite disappointing that the government overreach has, has become so insane there. So uh, how do you see this ending? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, there's so many options to buy Bitcoin. You don't really need any of. And I mean, a disclosure, full disclosure. Uh, my podcast is being sponsored by Bitonic, the the exchange that uh, uh, that 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 released the press release, uh, the information. Uh, but there's so many other options to buy. I mean, you can. We we have this system in Europe. It's called, or in in Holland, it's called Ideal, and it's sort of like an instant bank transfer, something like that. Something that most uh, shops in the Netherlands would use. Um, if you look at buy. Binance or Kraken, they all uh, support Ideal. So it's just as easy to buy uh, your Bitcoin on an international exchange as it is to buy it on a Dutch exchange. Uh, actually, now it's easier to buy it on an international exchange. So I don't think it will have any implications for, for Dutch users uh, because they can easily move to another jurisdiction. Uh, but the companies in the Netherlands, that's another story. That's, that's, that's terrible. Mm. It's just uh, stifling innovation in the uh, Netherlands. There, that is that's what government does. Oh, uh, hey, uh, uh, panel members, do you have any questions for Boris about this or any thoughts about this? Uh, you know, we were talking about Ray Dalio saying that uh, countries can make Bitcoin illegal. They can also do crazy things like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's going to be it's going to be a mixed bag. Um, this is definitely you know a negative. I still think that most Western governments are going to get things right when it comes to the internet and innovation. I mean, one of the lessons, right, of where the world is today and where tech is today is there was a moment in time, uh, you know, a few decades ago when here in the U.S. we could have gone one way or the other in terms of how the internet was treated. I mean, there was some discussion about, I think, treating, I'm trying to remember, treating website hosts as the same as broadcasters, you know, which would, would have to have broadcast licenses, right? Which would, would have just crushed the industry, right? It would have been, you'd have to basically spend a bunch of money, you know, get yourself licensed as a broadcaster just to host a website is my recollection of what it was. Now, the good news is in the US that, you know, overregulated side was defeated. And so the internet flourished and surprise, surprise, you know, the world's five biz biggest companies are here in America. Now that's not lost on the Europeans, right? The Europeans today, um, they have a lot of things right. They have a lot of things like, you know, privacy is important and I should own my data, you know, not these big giant internet companies. So they've got some, some good ideas in that regard, but they are, they have in part, the whole continent has in part been left in the cold with respect to the whole, uh, you know, all the value creation in the internet way over the last couple of decades. And so, I think the U.S. I, I think in the U.S. regulators and lawmakers aren't going to make the mistake of you know crushing internet-based regulation, which Bitcoin is. Um, and likewise, I think the Europeans will figure it out. There may be some false you know starts and stops. It'll be you know two steps forward, one step back. So it doesn't worry me you know too much. In fact, it really doesn't worry me hardly at all for the future of Bitcoin. Um, it sucks though. <laughs> for for uh, entrepreneurs right as Bort pointed out um that's you know that's a bummer for anyone trying to build you know help build this industry help contribute to building the system and its adoption um who's in the netherlands you know i, I feel for him yeah uh david any thoughts 
Regulatory arbitrage is the yeah. only thing that comes to my mind. Uh, there's going to be a lot of com- countries that lose. They just lose. And yeah. they don't know it yet. You know, the Netherlands, if they stick with it, uh, they're going to lose, which is too bad. There's, you know, I, I saw something. There was like one member of parliament, uh, Dutch guy that seemed to have it right. And then right after I was kind of, I kind of cheered him on by, you know, I, you know, replied to his tweet saying, well, at least there's somebody. And then within 30 minutes, this story about uh, Batonic drops. And I'm like, well, crap, the hell happened? It was, it looked like it was, and I'm like, oh God, you know, and what, it's just going to be a hard lesson to learn. It's going to be like selling at 200 and you got your 2X and you thought it was great. And then you see what's actually happening now and you feel like, calling the suicide prevention line. And it's going to be like, it's going to be like that with, with whole countries. I, I have high hopes for the, for the Dutch people. Cause uh, Boris, it, what, it, are those um, protests with the farmers still, still ongoing? That is in Holland, right? Yes, absolutely. The, actually, uh, f- just a few days ago, they uh, locked down uh, Den Hague, which is where the government is seated. So that's still going on. And that's interesting. I mean, there is absolutely a lot of um, uh, unrest. Is ma- Maybe it's a big word. It's not like in France, but uh, people are sick of it and, and sick of the, the all the bureaucratic nonsense coming from Brussels. And we have an election coming up in March. And maybe we will see uh, a rise in populism or or see uh, uh, bureaucrats elected that are more on the populist side. And hopefully that would mean something for Bitcoin. But to be honest, <laughs> I mean, these people are more or less all the same. And it's interesting that you mentioned um, uh, the one member of parliament that actually gets Bitcoin and understand uh, what the, the threat is that it poses to the banks. Uh, this guy is a member of the Socialist Party. <laughs> of all, yeah. of, that's, I mean, it's the, we're living in the upside down. It's incredible. The only member of parliament in the Netherlands is from the Socialist Party. He's actually sticking up for Bitcoin. That's, who would have thought that? What a, what a world. Now, you, we, we brought up uh, privacy was brought up during this whole uh, talk. Uh, Boris, you had news about that, that VPN uh, situation with Apple. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Apple rolled out there. Guys, I'm sorry to interrupt. I got a hard stop at 1230 here, so I'm going to drop. But uh, this was a blast. Thanks for having me. And uh, you guys should carry on. All right. Andy has left the building. Thank you very much for being here today, man. Thanks, See you Andy. later. Elvis has left the building. All right. Uh, yeah. Tell us about this VPN situation. Yeah. Uh, Apple rolled out this Big Sur update uh, a few days ago and um, uh, something happened. Uh, people couldn't start up their apps because there was a server that went down at Apple and it triggered some questions. People started thinking, why is it that if a server goes down, my apps won't start? And it turned out that Apple actually checks uh, checks the uh, security certificate of every app that started on your Mac. And that's something that you could disable in previous versions. You could use a uh, like a firewall, like a, a little snitch or something on a Mac. And um, in this Big Sur update, uh, that's no longer possible. Um, and besides that, most uh, uh, VPNs are circumvented. So Apple sends all these all this information about the apps that you start back to their own servers over an unencrypted uh, connection. 
and uh, and it will bypass your VPN. So you can imagine the the privacy concerns that that uh, um, that, that involves. Uh, people are really angry. Um, we've learned a, a bit more about it. Um, it turns out that a Apple actually can shut down certain processes. So uh, to give you an example, if you start up a Wasabi wallet or a Bitcoin Core on your Mac, uh, Apple can see that and they can actually choose not to let you run that software, which is insane by itself. Um, luckily, though, people are waking up and uh, finding workarounds on the Mac. Uh, there's a VPN software called Molvet. I believe they're from Sweden. Um, and they actually uh, won't allow certain processes to circumvent the VPN software. So if you use Molvet, you're at least you're safe from the, uh, from the leaking of your IP address. Uh, but this, this, the idea that a company like that basically owns your computer after you bought it, owns the processes that you run on it, um, can allow you or disallow you to run certain pieces of software. I don't know. It feels very 1984 to me. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's very, very interesting inf information there. Uh, uh, David, any uh, pr privacy uh, concerns? <laughs> and, Have I mentioned? Have I mentioned the term regulatory arbitrage yet? Oh, yeah, I have. No, the same thing's going to happen. Is that this this is going to drive people to open source software and computers that are built by people like Pure uh, the Librem or was it, is I can't remember the name of the company. Is it Purism? Purism. Yeah, yeah. And people are going to start. And, and and again, this goes back to and I don't Boris. I don't think you were here for this. So we were talking about why normies aren't like streaming in trying to tell ask us now what bitcoin is the same thing i'm going to end up you know i'm going to end up building a linux box i i, I at this point i kind of have no choice and um i think a lot of other people are going to do it but there's going to be quote unquote retail that sticks with apple because hey i got nothing to, the whole i got nothing to hide argument I, you know, I, I've said it, you know, I've been thinking about this for years. I honestly think that we're going to have a bifurcation of the human species. And what that means is that there's going to be people that are going to have children and express their genetics through their children and their children's children and children's children growing up under the yoke of really bad things. And then there's going to be a whole other segment of the population they just won't have it. They just won't. And they will end up moving to other countries or they will use other software packages. And here's the great thing about that, that open, the open source software thing. You know, right now it's like people, you know, oh, you're open source developer. You must be poor as a barn mouse because nobody's giving you any money. You can't sell it on the open market. Well, lightning is changing all that. And I, finally figured out what it is that, that I need. What, what I think is like, I'm, I have a couple of software packages that I would like to run and I would like to, to, you know, be able to use, but I don't want the, you know, $15,000 seat license fee. So if I had a lightning network streaming URL or an LNS URL, then I could somehow or another join with a partial token by firing up the software and then it says, I see that that you've set this not to our license servers, but to basically stream our software. Y yes, that's in, that's entirely correct. Pop up the QR code. Boom. Pull out my, you know, LN strike wallet or blue wallet or whatever. 
and just set it. But what it's set to do is stream for as long as I use that software. And when that token dies, then I stop streaming them uh, Satoshis. So this could be a model for open source software going forward. I'd love to, you know, help fund these developers, but I'm, you know, I'm not made of cash, but I can definitely stream y'all some Satoshis and you get enough of that coming in every time somebody opens up your open source software on your Linux box, nobody has any control over, over it. And yet you're still able to trade value for value in a streaming manner. And if if that technology really takes off, you can kiss Apple, Microsoft, IB. I mean, you can just go ahead and bury them. It will take a long time because there's still always going to be the normies out there. And that's going to be the, bifur the bifurcated population. But we don't have to. We, we don't have to do this. We have a choice. Yeah. I love how you try. You, you, uh, you tied Lightning Network into this. Everybody loves to hear Lightning Network news uh, around here. So, so thank you very much for this. And yeah, everyone, don't be, you're not helpless people. You, you, you shouldn't be a tree. You can move around. You don't have to follow the herd. You know, we've got people complaining about the NWO, the NWO this. Dude, it's, that's just a mindset. <laughs> that's just a mindset. You, you're making an excuse why you're not uh, successful. You can you, you can find alternatives. I mean, that's what Bitcoin is all about. Uh, but God, man, the, the conspiracy is out there. And it, I mean, it's just excuses. It's, it's disgraceful. Anyway, uh, uh, Boris, uh, we're going to talk about Taproot real quick. But do you have anything else to say? No, that's it. I absolutely agree. I don't know if you talked about uh, Adam Curry's uh, podcast 2.0 project already. You, not no, yet. That was, that, that that bring it up because I, I talked about it on a show earlier this week that was news sort of from last week, yeah. but uh, that involves Lightning Network. Yeah, so yeah, that's news. Bring it up. It's Talk absolutely about. fantastic. Uh, what he's done is he's uh, basically collaborated with the guys who, who are building the Sphinx app, and uh, that's a chat application built on the Lightning Network, uh, which is really interesting. Interesting because it's absolutely peer-to-peer -peer encrypted, end-to-end -end encrypted. Um, uh, and it runs on lightning, which which is funny. Um, that app also allows you to listen to podcasts. It gets its podcast from Adam Curry's uh, new pod podcast 2.0 index, uh, which is open source. I mean, it's not Spotify. It's not Apple. You cannot get kicked off from anything when you uh, when you uh, publish your RSS feed on his index. And the, the brilliant thing is that you can, uh, inside of your RSS, you can uh, publish the key of your lightning node and you can uh, immediately, as soon as someone listens, uh, start accepting uh, or basically accept streaming Satoshis to your lightning node for every uh, person that's actually listening. It isn't mandatory. You don't have to pay to listen to a podcast, but you can if you want to. And I, what I hear right now is that it's absolutely fantastic. Well, I love the innovation that's going on. I, I don't know how well it will work if if the masses will want to pay uh, for, for, for a podcast like that or how easy it is. Or you know, We were talking about the earlier in the show, so few people are into Bitcoin at all. So, But he, he's competing. He's not complaining. He's not just saying, oh, oh all these uh, the, the NWOs got me down or some insanity like that. He's, he's plugging away, making new products and just – innovating out there and that's what i love i love people who are in motion put it you know put it all on the line there and that, that, that's great what he's doing um let's talk about uh, taproot boris do you have any insight on taproot well uh, i do my podcast with aaron van weerdom and he wrote the article for bitcoin yeah. magazine of course uh, about how uh, pooling is uh, started this initiative to actually activate taproot um 
for me personally, uh, I, I, I'm kind of surprised by how shell-shocked everybody still is from SegWit. Um, I believe we don't need a, a user-activated software or something like that. Uh, I mean, there's I don't think there's anybody out there that isn't for Taproot. So um, it should be able to, to get activated fairly quickly uh, through, what was it, BIP8, I believe. Awesome. Awesome. And, and uh, by the way, it's going to cut us off in a second here, but we, we'll keep on going. Don't worry. Um, it's just weird how this thing works. Uh, David, your, your, uh, any taproot thoughts on your part? It's going to cut us off. I know it is. Yeah. Yeah. Is it going to go? It's going to go. Okay. Oh, All right. Go, go, okay. go, David, go. Baby. Okay. So there's BIP eight and there's BIP nine and we have 56%. Hang on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Work, work, work. Come on. All right, keep going, David. We're okay, good. so I got cut off at BIP 8, BIP 9 uh, proposals for activation of Taproot. So 56% of the miners are signaling for Taproot. Some of them are doing it through BIP 8. Some of them are doing it through BIP 9. And then there's one out there that's actually wanting to do it through BIP 8 and 9. What's weird? Binance pool, which has 12% of the hash rate, is not signaling at all. They're not signaling against, but they haven't actually signaled for. I get the feeling that they're pro they're, they may be preoccupied with the other things going on with Binance, and that's why they're not signaling. So it looks like, from my perspective, you know, the shell shocking of, of SegWit, it's, I mean, it's even with me. I don't want to see another one of those. I mean, it's it's it it was fun to live through. It wasn't all that fun to actually, you know, be going through, but it is fun to sit back and go, God, we survived it. And I don't want it, but I don't want to do it again. I, I don't I don't that thing was nasty, it was ugly, it was probably the darkest period of Bitcoin's history that it, at least in my memory of being being in into this thing. Um, I can't, uh, Mount Gox was probably, you know, just as bad, but the SegWit thing, you know, that's how you, did you want BCH? Because this is exactly how you get BCH. I, you know, I don't need another one. All right. Uh, there is a question out there from Roman Q. Have the guests heard if there are any exchanges that are opposing Taproot? I haven't heard of one. Me neither. No, I think they will support it. Right. All right. Uh, and yes, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Von Weirdum doing a great uh, coverage of the uh, Taproot. Uh, what was that uh, site? Uh, yesterday's show, I mentioned a, a Taproot progress site. What, does anybody know that URL? It's a, it's a very easy one. To, anyway, watch yesterday's show. I, I, ga I gave that link. Maybe I'll find it uh, here. All right. It's, uh, it's closing remarks time of the show. Uh, anything that was left off, anything you want to add uh, that... Uh, we missed off on it's. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Uh, price uh, price went up this week. Uh, David, your your thoughts? I don't really have. I think we touched on just about anything. Um, I think for a you know kind of a closing remark, I'd say that you know get your arguments uh, against FUD ready and get them pared down to where you can just basically, somebody says, oh, well, Bitcoin's gonna boil the ocean. And if you can say a single sentence that basically you know, backslaps that, that's where you wanna be. You don't want long drawn out, 
you know, this and A and B and C and lead these really long explanations. You want to be able to drop like a 20 second bomb on somebody as to why that's stupid. All right. And then be prepared to understand who Ray Dalio is, who uh, Michael Saylor is, what microstrategy is, what their buy positions were so that you can drop those bombs every time somebody says Bitcoin has no value. Okay. If Bitcoin has no value, then why is Mark Cuban spending money on a film crew, an audio crew, an editing crew, set designers, and then marketing that little film that he put out yesterday that said he'd rather have something that rots like bananas other than Bitcoin? If it's so worthless, why did he spend his time and money making that video? All right. So get prepared for the FUD. The other thing is education of normies. It's, it's going to fall to us. No, but I mean, it, we are, we are, we, we're the only ones. We're the only ones that are doing this. All right. So uh, educate your normies, figure out the, the, even if it's distasteful, thankfully we don't have to use Coinbase anymore, but even if you had to, even if it's distasteful, they got to get off zero. <laughs> You have to, you don't have to go all in, don't mortgage your house, don't do anything stupid. But if you've got 10 bucks a week, then get cash app and start decent, you know, daily cost average in and, and warn and, and definitely warn people against the fact that it is volatile. If you do something stupid, like mortgage your house, you better be, you better be prepared to ride that thing out for five years. Four years. Four. <laughs> four. That's four, what I tell people. The cycle. It's the it's the it's, it's the having cycle. All right. Yes, using Coinbase is better than having no Bitcoin. That is a very good point. I I am not of the Bitcoin Inquisition that wants to shut Coinbase down. I realize people are going to end up uh, using Coinbase is better than uh, buy, buying it quote unquote on PayPal. There's no PayPal. You don't even own the darn thing. Uh, and but by the way, I want to say Taproot activation. Dot com is that uh, site that you can uh, check out the uh, tap road on. Well, thank you for being on the show today, David. Uh, Boris, you'll get the final word. And I'm you, you've got conviction, baby. You, oh. you, you, you went to a neighbor's house, took got his laptop, you're, it wasn't working, and you set it up, dude. And you were because we needed that Netherlands insider information. I, I, I don't, I don't want to rely on what's on the freaking coin telegraph. I want Boris to tell me what's going on here. Oh, that's all right. right. Thanks. Well, you know, um, Listen, Adam, I've been listening to your show for years and uh, you are one of the persons who was always so positive and still are about Bitcoin. And if I look around me, I mean, we have this partial lockdown thing going on in the Netherlands and all this this bureaucratic nonsense that we're bombarded with in mainstream media every day. And it, what, what I see is that a lot of people are... I mean, losing hope is a big word, but they are sort of like tuning out. They are they are pessimistic about about their lives or about the future. Um, everyone except Bitcoiners, <laughs> and that's what I love, man. I see. I mean, when this when this uh, when the BlackRock news dropped today, uh, I was I was about to enter the gym, and I see uh, I get I, I get all these text messages. Everybody's like, "Oh, look, it's really happening!" It's can you imagine? I mean, we've been waiting years for this, and we've been talking about it for years too, and we've been 
calling it way too early for years as well. But now all of a sudden I get, I get, I talk to people who are really, really large financial investors who are taking Bitcoin seriously. I'm, I get, I get calls from financial news challenge uh, channels asking for quotes. I mean, can you imagine, man? It's, it's, it's incredible. And, um, I love the positivity that's coming from Bitcoin, especially in these times where where mainstream media and the bureaucrats are trying to tell us that all hope is lost and we need to wear, I don't know, face masks and social discount, don't see anybody. All this nonsense, this absolute utter nonsense, it disappears when you uh, when you are a Bitcoiner. And I love that, man. So for everybody who's watching or uh, everybody who's watching who knows people that are that are struggling with depression or struggling with with gaining some some positivity or some some bright uh, outlook on the future please guys just give them some sets uh, push them down the rabbit hole and um we'll all be fine golden age baby this is a golden age for bitcoin pound that like button it is the cure for all those negative stories out there this is the biggest most positive story out there the mainstream media wants to they make money off of fear. That's their business model. Let it be. You don't have to be a slave of the algorithms and the mainstream media. It's so easy just to skip off that path, go into this path, and it is so darn positive here in Bitcoin. And uh, I, I, I try. I mean, I love, I love spreading the positive word, and I'm so glad that we ended it on that awesome positive note. Because yeah, life happens to people. It, it, their sad events can happen in people's lives. But uh, there's always there's always a tomorrow, and you should always be excited about that next day. And just this is the golden age we're in. So you, you some people want to have a negative outlook on it, but man, this decade is going to rock. Bitcoin is the rock of this decade. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember to subscribe to this channel, like this video, share this video, pound this that like button. Thank you, guests. Shabbat shalom. And of course, Mel Meister forever. Never forget him. All right, I will see you guys later. Bye-bye. All right, let me just stop it on uh, this note. All right.